0: This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. And I'm starting to freeze up because I'm suddenly sensing a different energy from him.
1: She continued to smirk, but didn't want to answer me. Up until this point, I couldn't have
2: convinced myself that they wanted our valuables, but this voice made me understand that he wanted us.
3: From
1: Disturbed Media, join your host Chad for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed.
3: Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you three true horrifying tales that will frighten and disturb. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user Spirit of an Angie, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas, and we meet the policeman.
0: So my friend and I are underaged, a little buzzed from party hopping all night. We roll up to Wendy's and ditch the empty bottles of Smirnoff ice as we wait for our food at 2 a.m. in the drive-thru. I had no idea that it was illegal to be out past a certain time if you are under 18, unsupervised, and it's past 12 p.m. in Arizona. I catch a text from a friend, and she asks me to get her order, and will meet us at this intersection, and will eat with us. Okay, sounds chill enough. I get to the intersection and there aren't any gas stations or grocery stores. Just some creepy office buildings in a dirt lot. I stupidly picked the dirt lot to wait for my friend, who calls me and is like, is that you with the cops behind you? And I was like, no. Only to discover that in fact cops were behind me. Luckily, the car smelled like food and not booze and cigarettes but the cop knew I was under the influence and had a large bottle of rum that had already been opened that I tried desperately to hide under shit from my car before he knocked on my window. He's not stupid. This cop asks me and my friend for our parents' phone numbers. My friend's mom gets a call to come pick her up and gets a verbal lashing from the cop about being underage past curfew and explains the citation so I already know what was coming. I, however, didn't have a voicemail set up on my new Nokia bat phone, and refused to give my parents house phone back when these were still everywhere. I told him they simply didn't have one, only a cell number, and I put it to silent as he repeatedly called it. I tell him they were probably out with friends themselves and the cop says, okay, explains the ticket to me. I think I'm going to get away scot-free when he says he's going to follow me home. I made sure to go the speed limit and not make any errors but I'm shitting myself right now. I parked my car in front of my house and my parents' cars are in the closed garage. Dark house. Yes. It looks like no one is home. The cop proceeded to park his car and says, Hey, you could have broken the rules a little with getting home. I wasn't going to pull you over twice now. As he followed me to the front door. I unlock it and nervously said, thank you but he, instead of ringing the doorbell or doing their famous police officer knock, follows me into my house and locks the door behind us. He's talking to me, making small conversation, checking out my living room, and I'm starting to freeze up because I'm suddenly sensing a different energy from him. He asks me where my bedroom is. He tells me to take him to it. I instead took him into my parents' room and turned on the light 100% thankful to see my sleepy-eyed parents shocked to see an armed grown man behind their young daughter. And he just lets out a breath and says in my ear, you lied to me, sweetheart. And he goes back into police mode, telling my parents that he found me out at an illegal time and that I'd need to pay a fine and attend a class. It was so embarrassing, because I was 18 by the time I had to take the class with a bunch of 12 to 14-year-olds anyway. I never told anyone until now about the comments he made to me, but my dad did ask him why he was in our house. I told him I didn't understand that either. He never read me any rights, he just followed me home. Before he left, he said, that's a nice house phone you have right there, looks new and shiny, as the last thing he told me before letting me go. I can't help but think back to that night and thinking about what would happen if I had had bad parents who weren't home or we're out of town, et cetera. I know there are good cops out there. I personally know some. I go back and forth between being freaked out to, okay, maybe he was just being thorough. The comments are what stuck with me, though, and that sinking gut feeling.
3: Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer. Up next, we check in with Reddit user CanadianGal3, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we get stuck in a bad situation.
1: In my late teens and early 20s, I was friends with a girl named Lucy. She was a very lonely kind of girl whose parents were, well, honestly, really shitty parents. Her mother was verbally abusive, and her father really couldn't care less about anything. Because of the lack of love in her life, Lucy searched through dating sites for love and comfort from strange men. And she was not afraid of meeting them face to face, even if they'd been chatting for only a few days. My friendship with Lucy was a strange one. I found her quite annoying sometimes, but I also felt awful for her because of her loneliness and lack of friends and love in her life. Sometimes, I really didn't want to hang out with her, and some days I would accept her offer to hang out. When it was just her and I together, she was normal and okay to be around, but also very appreciative of having someone giving her attention. We had a small group of friends, and she would try to get all of us together as often as possible, and honestly... The whole group together was really quite fun. When we were all together, Lucy was very hyper and you could just tell that she was happy to be around people who didn't insult her as her mother does. Suddenly, Lucy tells us she has a boyfriend. We were all surprised because we knew she met a lot of guys online, but we had never heard her say she was dating someone. A few days later, she sets up a day for our friend group to meet Trevor. None of us were looking forward to it, because we thought he was going to be like all the others a temporary boy toy when we met him we all felt awkward he barely spoke a word he wouldn't look directly at any of us at all Lucy would try to be funny but he would just give her dirty looks needless to say we thought he was a weird one and could tell he didn't care much for her as the days went on Lucy kept telling me how much Trevor did not like me This was weird because no one ever disliked me. I am always polite, respectful, and I smile a lot at everyone. But for some reason, he did not like me. She kept saying he thinks I am using Lucy for her money. Not sure how he thought that since I paid for everything for Lucy. To keep this piece of the story short, I think he was trying to find reasons to convince her to get rid of me. I got a terrible vibe from Trevor. He dressed like he didn't care about life. He never smiled. He didn't shake our hands when first meeting us. He stank of weed and really had an overall uncomfortable feeling about him. After months of Trevor trying to convince Lucy that I am a terrible friend and she should not hang out with me anymore, she started to do as he said. She would start to hide me from him. If she and I were together and he would call her on her phone, she would lie and say I wasn't there. If she was with the group of friends, he would have her swear I wasn't there. When he was going to be joining the group on an outing or just hanging out at her place, she would tell me I couldn't come. Lucy will do whatever a boyfriend says just to keep pleasing him so she doesn't lose them. Now, here's where it gets scary. Lucy calls me one day and says she wants me to come hang out at her place. I agreed. She came to pick me up. We went to her house and watched TV for a bit. We then decided, since it's a nice day outside... would take her two dogs for a walk to a nearby pocket park and would later return to the house to have lunch together. While at this park, she receives a phone call. Now, let me say that Lucy is not a private person whatsoever and has never, ever walked away to answer a phone call until this day. She walked far enough away that she knew I would not be able to hear anything she said. This was suspicious to me, but not enough to question it. The call ends and she begins walking toward me with a look on her face as if she is trying not to smile. She tells me, so I need to bring you home now. I was slightly confused as we had only been together for about an hour when we usually spend the entire day together and she would never want me to go home. She would even frequently beg me to sleep over to avoid being alone. I said okay and we walked to drop off her dogs at home and we got into her car and off we went. About 10 minutes into the car ride, I realized she isn't going in the direction of my house. So I questioned it. Where are we going? She smirked but didn't respond. I asked again, laughing uncomfortably. Seriously, where are we going? She continued to smirk but didn't want to answer me. I started to realize she was heading in the direction of where her boyfriend lived. Oh, hell no. I asked one last time with anger in my voice, where are you taking me? Her only response was bone-chilling to me. Trevor wants to talk to you. Nope, no, nope. I wasn't having any of this. I insisted and demanded she let me out of the car. But with her evil smirk and same response, she said it again. It's okay. He just wants to talk to you. I was furious at this point because this creepy guy who looks like he wants to kill someone who also despised me wanted to talk to me? Why can't he talk to me on the phone? Why do I need to go to a sketchy apartment? She absolutely refused to let me out of the car. She had the doors locked as if I wasn't able to unlock my passenger door. I waited until she reached a red light. I grabbed her wallet from the back seat and took out her bus pass and bolted out of the car. I had no idea where I was or where the nearest bus stop was, but I was not about to let her crazy ass boyfriend do whatever he wanted to me. She yelled for me to get back into the car, but of course I ignored her. She sped off furiously. I immediately blocked her number on my phone. I removed her as my friend on social media and immediately warned the group of friends not to talk to her because she has gone nuts. I have not spoken to her since that very day. And she also lost the other five friends of the group as well. After this situation, Lucy, I hope you're truly lonely now.
0: Looking for even more Disturbed? Join us on Patreon for ad-free listening, shout-outs, and Disturbing Calls bonus episodes at patreon.com slash disturbed podcast. Apple users can subscribe to Disturbed Media Premium directly in the Apple Podcasts app.
4: History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On conflicted,
5: to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to StoicismPod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.
4: Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, Next Best Picture, For this upcoming award season race we hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks we look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com
0: you're listening to disturbed now back to the horror
3: And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user HumanCake7284, featuring voice work by Melissa Medina, and we check who's at the door.
2: This experience happened to my roommates and I in our second year of university. The city we went to school in was considered a very safe university town. The most we had heard of happening was drunk morons doing typical drunk moron things. This was also the first time that we were all really living on our own. First year residences are nice, but it's basically an extended summer camp rather than a typical living situation. The four of us girls lived in a nice townhouse that never once had a creepy vibe or weird neighbors in the months we had lived there. The only eerie part was that every weekend, we were the only people who stayed in the complex. All of our neighbors either went home or stayed elsewhere until returning Monday for classes. This was never something we had given a second thought to, considering that was fairly normal for a uni town. Especially because our complex was only made up of about four other townhouses. The complex was surrounded by walking trails and farm fields, which we loved. It was like our quiet spot away from the chaos of college kids. There were a few farmhouses we could see from our backyard, but other than that, we were fairly secluded. The university was about a 20-minute bus ride away, which was never a big deal for any of us, especially because the rent was far cheaper here than in places that were within walking distance to campus. Being five foot six, I was the tallest by a considerable amount. I was also the only one out of the group who had been in a handful of scary situations. Due to this, I was the only one, up to this point, who would lock the doors, windows, and garage before leaving or going to bed. My roommates all grew up in small, very safe towns, so it was uncommon for them to lock doors back home. They were also incredibly kind and trusting to everyone, never considering hidden bad intentions. The night in question started very normally. We had planned on having a wine and movie night. This was kind of like a weekly tradition for us. We would pick out some stupid movie, get takeout and get a little buzz after a long week of classes and work. At this point, it was early November, so we had been doing this for several months with no issues. By 8.30ish, we had all settled on the couch in our living room and had started a comedy. With it being November, it was already completely dark outside, other than our porch light we could see from the small window at the very top of our door. None of us were tall enough to see anything out of that window anyway, so we relied entirely on our peephole. It took a great amount of effort for me to convince my roommates to check the peephole before opening the door. This was a talk we had after one roommate had opened the door for our neighbor's very drunk friend who threw up all over our main floor. Not long after ordering our takeout, we heard banging on our front door. Jess made a joke about how the delivery guy must have taken a helicopter to get here this quickly, especially considering the place we ordered from was very close to campus. It was not a typical delivery guy's knock either, but between the few glasses of wine and carefree attitude of the night, we didn't really pay it too much mind. It was my roommate's turn to pay this week. I'll call her Meg for the sake of the story. Out of the group, she is the smallest, barely five foot. She is also the most trusting person I think I have ever met. She ran up to her room to grab her wallet. This took almost 30 seconds. During this time, The banging continued and was getting more aggressive. I figured maybe it was cold or he had other shit to do, so we yelled up to get her to hurry. The banging continued to get harder and harder, and I started to feel a bit uneasy. When she came back down, I told her to check the peephole before opening it, as she was usually the one to just open up. She got to the door and looked out the peephole. She could barely reach it on a good day, So when she said she couldn't see anything, my other roommate and I got up to help. My second roommate, I'll call her Jess, is a very funny person. There are very few things that she would not turn into a joke. Jess got to the door before I did and looked out the peephole. The person on the other side was still banging away. When she turned to look at me, I knew something was wrong. She looked incredibly confused. A look I had rarely seen from her, as she was very clever. Within a second, she had gone back in for another look. This time, her face was not confused. She looked afraid. This made my stomach nod up. She is a horror movie fanatic, and she doesn't scare easily. I think someone's covering the peephole, she whisper-shouted at us. This time, I looked out of the peephole, seeing that, yep, something was covering the peephole. We could still see the porch light shining through the window at the top, so we knew it was not a case of it being too dark to be able to see what was going on. By now, our other roommate, whom I'll call Anne, had walked down the hall trying to find out what was going on. She was easily the drunkest of the four of us. Even sober, though, she seemed to think she was invincible. What is your problem? Open the door! The poor dude has his hands full, was Anne's wise idea. Jess and I explained what was going on. At this point, Meg, Jess and I had a gut feeling that something was wrong. That is when Jess asked Meg to check the website she had ordered our food on. Meg had not placed the order. Between the wine and the silliness of the earlier night, she had selected our food but did not finish the last step. The banging continued as our situation started to sink in. Anne still did not seem to grasp what was happening and tried to unlock the door. Stop! I snapped at her. Immediately, I knew it was too loud. For the first time, the person on the other side of the door spoke.
4: This is the police. Open the door now. We have a few questions to ask you.
2: A man's voice practically growled back at us. This sobered me up right away. I looked over at Meg, who was already welling up. Then at Jess who had gone completely pale. At this point, Anne also realized something was not right and froze, which is the least Anne thing she could have done. The banging was getting increasingly harder to the point we could physically see the door breathe with each hit. Meg took Anne upstairs, trying to calm each other down and check if there was a police car parked outside and make sure our windows were locked. Though it was hard to do, it was possible to get onto part of our roof that made it possible to get to Anne's window. We heard a window slam, immediately knowing that it had been Anne's window. Being a bit of a thrill seeker, Anne had taken out her window screen in order to sit on the roof. For some reason, this made what was happening very real. Uh, Show me your badge, then we'll open the door, I yelled back. Instead of a response, it sounded like the guy started to kick the door. I told Jess to call the police and ask if they had an officer dispatched to our address. Jess was shaking so badly at this point that it was hard for her to dial. Now, Meg had come back down the stairs, sharing that there was no police car parked outside. Anne trailed behind her, standing on the stair landing, trying to get a good look outside the window at the top of the door. At that moment, My blood ran cold, remembering that the man at the door had said we and not I. Jess had just come to the same realization. She sprinted to our back door, a large sliding glass door, which she double-checked that it was locked. Thankfully, it had been. She drew the curtains as well, trying to minimize the chance of them seeing in. Within a minute, the knocking started at our back door as well. Thank God she had closed the curtains, because the idea of seeing whoever was doing that still gives me chills. Uncover the peephole and show me your badge! I yelled again, trying to sound as intimidating as a young college girl could. We were met with silence, which was so much worse than the banging. What is your badge number, at least? Prove to us that you are the police! I screamed, trying to keep my voice from breaking. The only response I got back was a gravelly I can't do that Jess had handed her phone off to Meg who was sobbing now trying to speak to the dispatcher the banging now coming from both sides of the house must have been heard by the operator is there someone trying to break in she asked Meg obviously being unable to understand her Meg frantically asked if police had been sent to our house the answer we all knew by now was no Meg babbled that at least two men tried to get us to unlock the door by impersonating a police officer. Try to stay calm. Stay on the phone with me. Police are on their way to your address, the operator told Meg. How long will they pee? Meg asked back. No more than 10 minutes, she responded. That made Meg cry harder, realizing just how long 10 minutes really is. The door was being hit so hard I worried it would break. Jess ran back toward our back door, making me worry that our kitchen window had been open. Trying to think, I put a chair under the doorknob and sat down, hoping the door would hold. Jess came back to the front door, holding a kitchen knife and a fire extinguisher, which were the only things we had to protect ourselves with in case they got in. Anne, now sitting on the landing, flinched with each hit. Anne was farm-tough and had no issue dealing with animals three times her size. What was happening now, though, was entirely different. We had nothing to really deter whoever wanted in. No prods and no backup until the real police showed up. Not like what she was used to. She grew up having family as her neighbors her whole life. If anything were happening, her uncles and grandfather were at her front door in a minute flat. Anne's I'm Invincible attitude was long gone. She was now as scared as the rest of us, only having some wood and glass keeping these men out. Each hit to the back door made me expect whoever was there to break through the glass. Open the fucking door, the man yelled at us, not caring if we thought they were police anymore. Then it got very quiet again, which made me want to throw up. The only thing worse than what was happening was not knowing where the men were. The idea of both men moving to the back door made me absolutely terrified. If they really wanted to, it would be very little effort to smash through the plate glass. Instead, the knocking at the back door had completely ceased. Within seconds of that, the front door started being hit again. Trying to wrap my mind around why they would leave the easiest entry for a heavy wood, I realized the back door was visible to the main road. Whether they had seen a car or heard us talking to the police, they were smart enough to not want to be seen by anyone. Jess then said something that I had not thought of. I don't think they want to rob us. There are so many houses that are empty. Why would they come to the only house with the lights on? She hissed. My whole body went cold. I did not have an answer. All I could say was, fuck, you're right. Meg clearly felt the same, because at this point she was practically hyperventilating. The three of us stayed quiet for a minute, awful scenarios running through our heads. Anne moved back up the last few steps and out of sight of us. The operator, who we had forgotten was on speaker, spoke, which practically made me jump out of my skin. She must have felt how terrified we were and tried to calm us down. The police are two minutes away. They
0: have their sirens turned off and the lights
2: are on. You should be able to see them very soon. Stay on the phone with me so I can confirm when they're outside for you, she said. The men outside were starting to seem desperate. The sound of glass shattering had me turning to the back door, fully expecting to go into offense, but the door was still intact. Instead, our porch light, the only light illuminating our dark street, went out, which put two and two together for me, understanding that they had destroyed the only way we would have been able to identify whoever was on the other side. Fuck you, little whores, a voice we hadn't heard before. Whoever was at the back door spat. This was worse than the initial speaker. It was full of so much hate and venom that it scared me more than the banging. He was so calm, intent on whatever his goal was. It didn't feel like how the first man had sounded. Up until this point, I couldn't have convinced myself that they wanted our valuables. But this voice made me understand that he wanted us. To this day, I've never heard a voice come close to that level of malice. It sounded like he wanted to inflict serious harm on us, and if he had gained entry, I know he would have. Somehow, I wanted the first man to speak again instead of whichever sick bastard had just spoken. I looked at Meg. I know how terrified I must have looked. Until now, I may have done a half-decent job at hiding how scared I was but that voice ruined my ability to stay stone-faced. Meg looked like a scared little girl, and that made me panic. If they got in, there is nothing I would be able to do to stop them. Not for me, and not for my friends. We would have been at the mercy of the monster outside. Jess had practically stopped breathing. It was like the oxygen had been sucked out of the air. It was so quiet... It sounded like a gunshot when our mailbox opened. Anne ran back down the stairs. I see the sirens. They're coming down the main road now, she whispered, hoping not to have the men here. The same man spoke again one more time, so slowly that I almost thought he was done after each word. In that same awful, calm voice, he read out a letter addressed to the four of us. Our neighbor must have put it in today. She had planned a potluck for the next week. None of us thought to check the mailbox after we had talked to her in the driveway this morning.
3: Jess, Meg, Anne, O.P. Those are nice names. I'll be back soon, girls. Then we'll
2: have some fun. I felt tears rolling down my face. I hadn't realized I had started crying, but I knew he meant what he had said. I tried to pull my mind out of the dark pit that that sentence had sent it to, waiting, praying that the police had surprised them, hoping they would not get the chance to come back. The silence continued. None of us dared to speak, worried that we would not hear if they moved to another point of entry. Instead, the silence persisted for what felt like a lifetime. The operator was the first one to speak again, telling us that the police are out front. She told us to stay in the house until the police knocked on the door. The kind woman stayed on the phone with us for several more minutes while the police searched around the area. Finally, the real police showed their badge to the peephole before even knocking to try not to scare us. The operator told us that we had done well and that we were in good hands now. We opened the door to be met by two kind-looking older police officers who we let in. Glass shards covered our front stoop from our porch light. It looked like it had been ripped out of the wall and smashed onto the concrete below. There were several police cars out front of our previously quiet home. The headlights on all of the cars were shining down the street towards the walking trail. We spoke to the officers who took a report from us. They asked us to describe the night's events in detail. They asked us if we saw them at all, and we explained how the peephole had been covered and the light had been smashed before moving away from the door. The officers advised us to speak to our landlord about, at the very least, security cameras. The older officer then closed the pad he had been riding in and looked up at us. He then spoke a phrase that made me understand how much danger we had been in. Look, if any of you were my daughters, I would have wanted the officer to tell her. If you can get out of your lease, do it. They know where you all live, and they also know the response time for us, especially after telling you all that he would be back. After that, they asked if we had heard a vehicle. That was something I had not considered. We did not hear any type of motor until the police were there. Even when Meg and Anne had gone to look for a police car, they saw no cars on the street at all. So likely, that meant that they had come from the walking path, which would explain how they left without passing the police on their way back to the main road. The older officer of the two had a look that told me he had an idea of what was going on. He looked sad, which was worse than if he had looked scared. I knew he had seen the situation end far worse in the past. We pushed for an explanation, but were only told that this had been an issue years ago, but did not elaborate past that point. The officers stood up, exchanged a glance that I did not know how to read, and then spoke again. We will have a cruiser parked in the driveway as well as a plane car around the back. They will not have a chance to try again. They did not catch the men in the two more weeks we lived there. We had a few creepy things, but nothing close to this. The reality was they had not been caught and they could come back anytime. After this night, we spoke to our landlady, who was incredible. She owned several properties around the city, and when we explained what had happened, she let us move to an apartment closer to campus. She told us that our safety is more important than making a few hundred dollars. She even left the house empty for many months in order to make sure cameras, better locks, and a reinforced back door. Thankfully, they did not come back and we were able to enjoy our new apartment without worrying. This is still so scary to me because of that voice. Make sure you lock your doors and check who's there before opening the door.
3: Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true, terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to find out all the different ways you can send in your story. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. And a big thanks to our newest supporters, Christina Jahn, Joanna Knudsen, Redneck Gandalf, and Matt Oliver. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at whitebataudioandco.ag Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.